You didn't follow the uh, the curfew during the pandemic, did you? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so I, I called my CEO and I said, hey, man, we're going to throw this biggest event. And he goes, oh, cool, dude. What do you think? And 2,000 people. I was like, no, I want 10,000. <laughs> and he was like, oh, man. I got in big trouble. <laughs> On the podcast, I said, I fly a helicopter without a license. Well, dude, three, two days ago, literally two days ago, I got a call from the FAA. Oh. Hey man, we saw your podcast with Ryan Pineda. This is unacceptable. We need to talk. Mm -hmm. Why can't I? And I said, well, I guess you can. Just be careful with what you say. I said, I'm not gonna be careful with what I say. Welcome back to the show, guys. Got an amazing guest for you guys today. I just went to his business conference. It was the best one I've ever went to. Keaton Hoskins, how's it going, man? What's up, man? It's uh, it's good to be here. I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, dude, I really mean that. I'm not just saying that because you're here. It was the best conference by far I've ever been to. I love that, dude. I um, When I set out to do this one, I, I literally, all I had in mind, and you were there, so you know, everybody's like, well, what are you going to pitch? What, what? How many people are going to sell? What? And I was like, I don't want to pitch anything. Yeah, I literally I want to bring value. Now I did have Russell Brunson get on and teach about uh, click funnels, and he did essentially sell click funnels. But outside of that, there was no real pitch, and it was because what I wanted was to bring massive value, like so much value where you went home and you're like, I need to go to bed. I'm so exhausted from how much I just took in. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm glad to hear that, dude. And that's kind of the um. That's what I've gotten the most back from people is that it was just, it was really Incredible, good. man. And I'm not trying to knock on Salt Lake, but when you think of big business conferences, you think of Vegas, <laughs> yeah. you think of Miami. How did you pull off that many people in Salt Lake? Dude, it's crazy. So I, and you were there because you heard, um, I that's kind of what I spoke on was dreaming big, right? And I decided literally six months before the event, I was laying in bed with my wife and I was like, I just, I want to have the biggest entrepreneurial business type event that Utah has ever seen. Mm -hmm. And- of course, my wife is like, oh, no, here we go. Like, as soon as he starts talking about crazy shit, I know he's going to do it. Um, and she's like, okay. She <laughs> went to bed. Dude, I stayed up for like three hours because I couldn't, I couldn't get it out of my mind. Yeah. I literally was like, no, I have to do this. So I, I called my CEO and I said, hey, man, we're going to throw this biggest event. And he goes, oh, cool, dude. What do you think? And 2,000 people. I was like, no, I want 10,000. <laughs> and he was like, oh, man. Okay. <laughs> so then I put my list together of speakers, which the the speaking list was on like unreal. it was unreal. Everybody there was so crazy and so powerful and I called in a lot of favors. I have a lot of friends. I'm really good at networking and I called in my friends and I said, "Hey man, I want you to speak and I'm going to put you on the biggest stage you've ever been on." Now, I don't think that's true for everybody, but it it was 8,000 people, right? Yeah. Um and I just said, "I don't know what we got to do, but I I want to get this in front of everybody." So, I put a huge marketing budget together. We spent hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, and we we essentially sold eight thousand tickets. Crazy, and that's your first event ever, right? My first real event. Right. I've done some smaller ones that were like intimate masterminds. Like I'm even doing one that in three weeks. I'm doing one in Cabo. I've got twenty five couples coming down to that. Mm. But no, like my first real big event. Yeah, that was it. And it was like I'm just. I just want to jump into this and make the biggest splash possible. So <laughs> that was kind of what we did. So where do you see this going? Because you made such a, a big start. Like, you got to continue this, right? Yeah. So um, I'll tell you this. And I, I told you um, when we started this, I'm going to drop some bombs here on your podcast today. But um, I want to have the biggest event in the world for entrepreneurials and, and lifestyle and growth type. Uh, um, uh, what are they even called? 
they're not even expos. They're just events, I guess, right? Yeah. I want to have the biggest arena type event that is based around helping people grow themselves and grow their business, mm. okay? Um, and I'm going to do that. I, I At some point, I'm going to have a football stadium filled. And we'll go back to this clip one day. It'll probably be two years from now. And we'll go back to this exact clip where I'm telling you right now I'm going to fill a football stadium with 50,000, 60,000 people. I'm going to do it. Mm. And that's where I see this going. Wow. I want to bring so much value that there's hundreds of thousands of people that just want to be where I put this on. Number one, for the information. Number two, for the education. And then number three, for the energy. And you were there. You were there the whole time. Yeah. The information is great. The education is great. But the energy in a building with that many people seeking to progress mm -hmm. is insane. And I loved it. So this is the plan. And I'll, like I said, I wanted to drop some bombs. So we're going to do a new another one. We're going to do April 27th. Um, it is going to literally be double. I'm going to do 14,000 people in this next event. Wow. Um, I'm going to have Tony Robbins, who I'm really, really excited. Tony Robbins doesn't do events with people, but uh, I don't know how we convinced him, but we did. That's impressive. Um, his CEO, Dean Graziosi. Um, we're going to have Ed Milet again. This time it's Ed's birthday, so we're going to do something <laughs> really special for Ed. Um, I've got – my list is actually insane, and I don't want to list off everybody – but Andy Frizzella, again, will be there. Um, Andy Elliott will be there. Um, Kevin Hart um, wow. is going to be there. Um, and then I'm going to be working on on some much, much bigger names that I don't want to say just yet. But I am going to drop the bomb that April 27th. And it will be, 100% will be, the biggest entrepreneurial event that's ever been put on. I don't know any event that's bi that's bigger than 14,000. I do know some that have done eight to 10, so I couldn't say I was the biggest yet. I right. think I was the biggest in Utah. For sure. But fourteen to 15,000 people, and Tony Robbins and I are going to be on stage, and we are going to crush That's it. That's huge, man. Yeah, your, your events are different. The energy, like you said, I mean, it just seemed like everyone there was giving value to each other, each other instead of selling. For sure, dude. And that's what I wanted. I wanted value from everybody. I, every one of the speakers was like, well, what do you want me to pitch for you? And I said, nothing. <laughs> and then they said, well, what do you want me to speak on? And I said, I want you to speak on what you feel like your message is to the world. This is mm -hmm. actually what I told every speaker. I said, listen, if you were going to die in five minutes and I handed you a megaphone and said, you can speak to the world for the, the last five minutes. What is it you want the world to know? Forget forget the hoopla, forget the the crazy and the fluff. You got 5 minutes, dude. What do you what do you want the world to hear from you before you go? Right. That's what I told my son and, and, and share it. Yeah. And so they did. That's awesome. I know you live in Utah, right? A mm -hmm. uh, funny story I saw about you was you bought the land for your house before you had enough money to pay for it, right? Uh, I did. I did. I uh I have never been the person that has made the money and then bought the shit that I dreamed of. Mm. I It's always been reversed. I dreamed the shit up that I wanted, and then I just figured out how to make it happen. Mm. Always, always. So I was living in a house, a nice home. It was a $2 million home. And the, the land that I now live on was uh, eight, I think it was eight or nine acres. And it was, you know, quite a bit of money. And I was like, dude, I can't afford to have the house that I'm in and buy that property and then build a house. So no joke. I sold my house. I, I bought a $100,000 trailer. <laughs> I bought the lot. I put my trailer on the lot. Wow. And I lived in my trailer while I built my home for 12 months. With your wife? No, I wasn't married at the oh, time. Okay. I, we were engaged, but she had a house. It was a smaller house that she had been in. Yeah. 
And dude, no joke, my kids like lived with me in the trailer. Wow. Yeah, dude, it was crazy. <laughs> and I lived on the property for 12 months while I built the house that I'm in now. Crazy. Because I couldn't afford, I, I didn't have the money. Yeah. I just knew I was gonna build that house and there was nothing that was gonna stop me. Definitely not the amount that I didn't have any money. It was like, dude, I'm just gonna do this. I don't know how I'm gonna do it, but I'm gonna Amazing. do it. Amazing. So would you say your success comes from that desire to take big risks like that? Yeah, I think my I think my success comes from the fact that I plain and simple only see hurdles in life. I never see a dead end, mm -hmm. ever. And I think most people who are successful in any right, any right, they see something that most people see as a dead end and they see it as a hurdle or a way around. And that's all I ever saw. I would I would see things that people would be like, dude, you can't do that. I go, why can't I do that? Well, you tell me why I can't do that. Mm -hmm. And of course you hear all the excuses. Everybody has a reason why they can't do something. And I would go, cool, I guess I'm just gonna figure it out. Yeah. I mean, dude, even when I bought that land, the city told me you can't build up there. And I said, okay, cool, I don't care. <laughs> and I started digging out the mountain. Wow. before the city approved it. I started laying the foundation of my home before the city even approved it. <laughs> Did they show up? Oh yeah, they, they showed up all the time, cease and desist. And I said, get off my property, go get a lawyer. Dude, and I fought with the city. And I still, I don't have a good relationship with the city because I fought with them all the time. Wow. So I, dude, I started building the house and they were like, oh, I guess we gotta let him build. He's already building. Like, what are we gonna do, be in a right. lawsuit? Yeah. So I just, I just did it. And this so is Salt Lake? This is it, just right north of Salt Lake, just right Got outside, it. about 15 minutes outside Salt Lake. and. Dude, that's how that's what I've always seen in my life. And I, I'm not I'm not successful in any right because of something special. Mm -hmm. I just plain and simple see hurdles rather than dead ends. And I decide to figure out how I get my fat ass over the hurdle rather than turn around and go figure out something yeah. else. You're not a rule follower. Not at all. Yeah. Zero. I do I do not believe in rules. And it's a really simple principle that I tell people all the time. Where did the rule come from? <laughs> Who made the rule? Right. Some guy? 15, 20, 100 years ago? And so that's what we now have to abide by? That's the rule? Mm. Because at some point, every infrastructure and every rule was put in by somebody. Mm -hmm. Why? I mean, I, I used to tell people all the time, why do I need to go to school? Well, you have to. Why do I have to? Well, that's just what we do. Well, I don't like that answer. The yeah. worst answer you can give me is, well, that's how we've always done it. Mm. And so, dude, I, I, that's how I've lived my life. And, and I'll tell you, it hasn't been easy. I hit, I kick against the pricks all the time and I get beat up all the time and I have tons of critics and I have lots of people that don't like me because they see somebody who just plain and simple refuses to follow rules. Mm. But if most people in their life right now, especially the guys that are listening to this, if you think about the confines and the rules in your life right now, it's all made up. It's all mm. It was made up by somebody and you decided to follow it. Why not just go... I don't know, I don't wanna abide by that rule, I just don't. And then be willing to carry out the war that you have to, to continue down that path. And for some people, people are like, well, I don't like the speed limit, so I'm not gonna follow the speed limit. Okay, I'm okay with that. But the war you're gonna have to go after is the government. That's not gonna be a fun war, but it is a war you're gonna have to go after. Right. And at some point, even how America was founded was a bunch of people that were saying, we don't like those rules and we are no longer going to abide by them and we are going to chase them down and fight them until we die or you die or you go away. That's right. it, there's no other choice. And if you start looking at everything like that in your life, you'll be really surprised. I had a podcast actually with Ryan Pineda yeah. just recently. <laughs> I got in big trouble. <laughs> On the podcast, I said, I fly a helicopter without a license, oh, right? Yeah. That's what I said. Now, I also said, I have a pilot with me 
who is my CFI? He helps me. I'm never flying alone, right? Uh-huh. Well, I was told that you needed to have a FAA approved uh, landing. Well, I don't have an FAA approved landing, right? Mm-hmm. So I said that on his podcast. Well, dude, three, two days ago, literally two days ago, I got a call from the FAA. Oh, hey, man, we saw your podcast with Ryan Pineda. This is unacceptable. We need to talk. And I said, okay, let's talk. What, what's up? They said, well, why are you telling people you're flying? And I said, because I do fly. And they go, well, you don't have a license. I said, you're right. I have my pilot with me. Well, you can't fly 100% of the time. I said, why can't I? If he's there and something happens and he's training me, mm-hmm. why can't I? And I said, well, I guess you can. Just be careful with what you say. I said, I'm not going to be careful with what I say. I'm not going to because you told me that that's what you think I need to do. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And I'm willing to battle that. It's the same thing. Like my, my helipad at my house is not approved but why does it need to be approved? I can land anywhere I want. You In a helicopter, what's cool, you can land anywhere oh, you anywhere? want. Anywhere. As long as the landlord says you can land there, you can land there. Oh, wow. I mean, anywhere. I said, well, if that's the, the rule, why can't I just build a place for me to land when I randomly land? Right. Well, it has to be approved. Why? Because that's what you said? Same thing, dude. I'm just willing to go into every situation and go, I don't give a what the rules are. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to kick against the pricks and I'm willing to fight against that exact rule because I think it's mm. and it's got me in got me in a lot of hard <laughs> places and it's got me in a lot of successful yeah. places. You didn't follow the uh the curfew during the pandemic, did you? I followed nothing during the pandemic. I fought with people left and right. The pandemic was the greatest source for people to see that they are sheep and they follow rules for no reason. Can I swear on your podcast? Uh, The pandemic was the perfect time to see who you were as a person that you will follow blindly. There was no sense. There was no sense. And you know the place that showed it the best? It was here in Vegas. Oh, Vegas? Dude, when I show up at a hotel and you have plastic walls up and I have to wear a mask and you're handing me cards back and forth underneath, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard (laughs) in my life. So you and I can switch cards all day, rub the shit out of the cards, but we can't have the plastic down? (laughs) The are you talking about? That's insanity to me, dude. That doesn't make any sense. Wait. So I can pull my mask down and eat and drink, but as soon as I'm done, I have to put it. Dude, that's insanity. Now, don't get me wrong. When I go into surgery and my body's cut open, should the surgeon have a mask on 100% of the time? Yes, because it helps a little bit. It doesn't help a ton, but it helps a little bit. Outside of that, those masks were The whole rules were All of it was complete And every single person should have said, why the are we doing this? Why are we not asking the question? Like, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. You know, dude, I I watched a, I watched a clip the other day about uh, one of the governors who was like eating a burger and fries. And he's like, if you get the COVID vaccine, you get a free burger and fries. (laughs) And he's, you know, and he's eating it. And I I watched that and I was like, God, we were stupid. (laughs) But that's the point, dude. If we're willing to just take what people give us and eat it without asking why, then the rest of our lives are that way, dude. And more people need to start asking why. Why is the rule that way? Why is the law that way? Mm -hmm. Why do I need to abide by that? Why do I have to do that? And dude, that's that's how we progress as as a civilization. For sure. There's and then there's better ways to do things. And now, I think everybody here, even people that are listening that are like pro, 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 
vaccines and masks are probably looking back at 2000 to 2023 and going, ooh, I don't think we did it right. I don't think anybody's saying we did it right. And mm -hmm. so we look back and go, we really should have questioned what makes a little bit more sense because that didn't make it. No, absolutely, man. It's crazy when you look back at our, our childhoods. We were just following stuff so blindly. Oh, dude, 100%. That's where we learn, right? Yeah. That's one of the things why I'm so adamant about what I teach my children. You know, it's funny. I had a conversation with my daughters. I'm thinking about bringing them out of school and, and homeschooling them and, mm -hmm. and paying a, a teacher and doing that whole thing. You know, the, the conversation I had was it wasn't, hey, I want you to uh, you're going to get taken out of school and you're going to do this. I said, hey, girls, what do you want to do? Mm. Do you want to go to school? Or do you want to come home and do you want to learn on your own pace? Hmm. I love you either way, but it's your choice. What do you want to do? Right? Yeah. Same thing, dude. Every aspect of my children's lives is based around what do you want to do? Now, I'm going to guide you and I'm going to help you and I'm going to support you and I'm going to protect you when I need to protect you. But I'm also going to let you get hurt mm. because I want you to make your own decisions and I want you to ask why we do what we do. And then I want you to choose because when you choose and you have the consequence, you learn. And that's what all this is about. Right. And, and the problem is, is that for some reason, we as a society have pulled back consequences from choices and we're wondering why we're so f mm. I know why. <laughs> because we're letting stupid people make stupid decisions and we're going, ah, let's take all their consequences. Yeah. That's yeah. the truth. I love that. So are you, uh, you a fan of these helicopter parents? Like, are you all over your kids? Or are you kind of No, no, dude. I think, um, I'll tell you this, uh, I, I think that there's a real everybody has the same purpose in life mm -hmm. um and i some people are like oh we all have different purposes no we don't um i think the purpose of life is to be present and that's really really hard for most people mm. like even right now dude um and i don't know you that well but i bet you got a million things going on in your life you got a million things you did and you got a million things you're gonna do i mean dude i'm gonna fly back in an hour and get on another plane and fly to disneyland with my family I got a million things going on but right. what's most important is this exact moment that you and i are having right now and mm -hmm. I, dude i'm grateful for it right what I've learned is that helicopter parents, people who are like over their kids, mm -hmm. they're teaching their children that, hey, there's worry. You should not be focused in this moment of learning because when you're present, you learn. Mm -hmm. You are more focused on what might happen and you helicopter in to make sure that doesn't happen. And then you create anxiety. Because right. living in the past creates depression and living in the future creates anxiety. And when you helicopter and your kids go, why is my parent like, let, let me breathe. And they're like, yeah, but you might fall off. You might burn your hand. You might get run over. No, stop. Let me just be here in this moment. This moment is what's supposed to teach me. And when you helicopter me, you're teaching me how to have anxiety and think about the future. Mm. Listen, man, I'll tell you this right now. The hardest thing in the whole world is to love somebody enough to let them make mistakes and learn from them. That's the mm. hardest thing in the whole world. It is, dude. Like, I, I don't know if you're married or you have kids, but dude, when you look at somebody and you know what they're doing is wrong and you want to step in, you have to learn how to love them enough to go, oh, you got to learn this, dude. You got to learn this. <laughs> yeah. And helicopter parents don't do that. Right. They jump in and they go, oh, you almost burned your hand. You think I want my daughters to burn their hand? No, I don't. Yeah. But what I do want them to do is learn that if I touch the stove, my hand gets burned. And hopefully they're smart enough that when that happens and I allow it to happen, they learn from the consequence. Mm -hmm. I think the greatest issue today that we're facing is that too many learned to make a decision and have zero consequences because their parents have taught them let's pull consequences i know you're an idiot i know you're a 
but I'm going to pull these consequences because I'm going to hover over you and make sure. Right. Oh, you're stupid. You didn't get good grades. You didn't do this. Well, I'm going to take care of this and I'm going to take care of this and I'm going to take care of this. The truth is, like I said, the purpose of life is to be present because when you're present, you can actually experience. When you experience, you learn. Mm -hmm. Helicopter parents don't let us or let their children be present to learn what they need to learn. Absolutely. And then we roll into what we have today, which is a pandemic of anxiety and depression. All over, man. All over. All these kids combined with uh, social media. And despite having a big social media presence, I've seen you advocate to take breaks off social media. Oh, yeah. You know, I I love social media because it's a business. Um, I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell you, I've never said this before on like a public forum, so... Life is a game of chess. It's not checkers. Mm -hmm. Playing checkers. Okay. <laughs> Social media is chess. Mm. If you're not playing chess, you're getting played 100%. Social media is a game and it's a game with pawns and queens. And I don't even know all the people on chess but i can tell you i'm playing chess in social media and sometimes when it becomes too much you got to take a break from it because and if you watch people who actually play chess sometimes they slow down and they stop and they think for a while right they yeah. pull back from the game they think about their next move it's important to do that in social media it's so crazy to me i watch people get so emotionally attached that social media gives them anxiety or depression or the my favorite fomo <laughs> i'm like bro you guys are getting played you're over here playing checkers this guy's playing chess on you and he is beating you horribly right so, dude, if that's the case, step back, take a break from it, and realize social media is only one thing. It's a game of chess. Learn how to play it. And when you learn how to play it, you become successful at mm -hmm. That's what I do. People that know me, like really know me, they see my social media, they always laugh. And they're like, that's not Keaton. And you know why? Because it's not me. Yeah. I play the game so that you see what you what you think I want you to see or what I really do want you to see, but it's not really who I am. Mm. Because this is, it's in my control. Right. I'm playing chess with every one of those. When when trolls jump on, when bad negative comments jump on, when crazy people jump on, I'm yeah. playing that game. You dude. respond or not? Uh, no, no, not very. I mean, sometimes when I'm really bored, but I, <laughs> I don't have a lot of time to do that. Yeah. But I see it and I go, got you. <laughs> checkmate, yeah. checkmate, checkmate. I'll keep playing chess till the day I die on social media. And that's that's a big thing. And if you can't see it like that, then you should back off. And you should take a break and go, all right, let me get my game on. Right. Let me get my game. I'm going to play some chess now. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to make money. I'm going to be successful. I'm going to gain followers. And it's not going to affect me at all. Social media doesn't affect me in the slightest. It makes me money, but it doesn't affect me. Yeah. You know? And, yeah. and, and, I, and I'm learning that. I'm in the same boat for sure. Has uh, cancel culture come for you yet? Oh, yeah. Yeah? I, yeah. I, dude, when, when we started our TV show in 2013, we had this huge discourse from Discovery Channel, and they're like, listen, you can't say this. You can't do this. You can't you, you can't be here. You can't do this. Um, and we just said, yeah, we're going to do whatever we want. <laughs> in fact, this is crazy. Um, so we're all... We're all really big uh, in, 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 in the God and, and Christian thing, I yeah. know, whatever you want to call it. Um, we're all God fearing men. There's, there was, you know, three of us, four of us on the show. And one of our, our, uh, uh, last episodes, we actually did live on TV for discovery. Oh yeah. Channel. Live. Yeah, it they was live. It was no, on that TV? was the first time. Oh, okay. it was the very first time discovery had ever gone live, which is crazy because discovery channel is the biggest channel in the world. Wow. Biggest reach, biggest channel. And they said, we're going to do this stunt 
we're going to have you jump your monster truck over a flying airplane. Mm -hmm. We're going to do it live. (laughs) So we're like, okay, let's do it. Like stoked. I was the MC. My other guy was driving the monster truck. Like it was, it was pretty cool. Well, when we started, we literally told our producer, Hey, uh, when we start this, we're going to say a prayer live on camera. And he was like, no, 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 you're not. Mm. And we said, okay, cool. Well, dude, as soon as it went live, we literally said, hey, guys, we're really excited to come live to you. But uh, we really, really believe in saying prayers before we do crazy like this. Mm-hmm. And so we had a <laughs> we had a live prayer on, oh, on wow. TV. Right. Dude, you would have thought like it was the worst day ever. Like they were pissed at really? us. They were not happy with us. No, they were not happy. Well, dude, the, the episode went and it crushed mm-hmm. like the, and everybody was like, we loved that the, the Diesel brothers prayed live on the air and mm-hmm. we love that. Well, guess what? What do you think they did? Oh, yeah, that was our plan the whole time. We love it. They're great. They're Christian. <laughs> but it was like, dude, that was the that that reality of like, if you do this, we're going to cancel you if we if you do these things. And we we're like, we don't care, dude. Mm-hmm. And I learned from that till today. Dude, I just do what I, I just do what I'm going to do. I don't give a shit about cancel culture. I don't give a shit. I'll just fight the battle, whatever it comes. And dude, if you cancel me, cool. I'll just build up another audience somewhere else. I don't care. You're yeah. not going to stop me. It's not going to happen. Yeah. So I just don't care about it. That's how I feel about it. Cause the people that are actually doing the canceling aren't really anyone I really want to impress. No, it's not people you want to mess with anyways. Yeah. Right. And as crazy as people are, it's like, you don't like that. I believe this or that I say these things. Cool. Turn it off. <laughs> Cause I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. You know, you could try to cancel me. I'll just get big on TikTok again. Or you can cancel <laughs> me there. I'll just get big on Instagram. Or I'll start another TV show. I don't give yeah. a Yeah, it's like a hurdle, like you said earlier. It's a hurdle, dude. It's not a – and you're not going to stop me. And so, again, like, try to cancel me, I guess. Yeah. That's my challenge. So you had the show on Discovery for eight years. Most people would see that and say, this guy made a ton of money. But is it true you made no money off it? Zero. It's crazy. Zero dollars. And I'll tell you why. So it's funny, dude. People people are so funny. Everybody sees your rise and they find the greatest excuses as for how, why you made it. Mm-hmm. I made a post. Just, actually, my last post went viral. It was just a video of my wife and I in the kitchen. She was making me uh, like pumpkin cookies or something. Dude, and, and you go through, you read the comments. There's a lot of people that are like, oh, yeah, dude, it's so cool to see you be successful. And then you start reading some of the comments. And they're like, oh, you're only successful because you had a TV show. If <laughs> I would have had a TV show, I would be so, so, so successful. And it's like, dude, here's the thing. <laughs> do you know what it takes to get a TV show? Do you, know how ma- do you know how many people have tried to have a reality show? Probably a lot. Hundreds of thousands of people. Right. In fact, every two or three days on every network, they're getting pitched a new reality wow. show every day, all day long. That's what they do. That's what people are in the offices doing. Now, out of the shows that actually make it, do you know how many become number one? Only one. <laughs> right? And we were number one. Yeah. In fact, we still to this day have the TV show that was the most aired premiere TV show ever on Discovery Channel. Discovery Channel is the oldest and biggest episodes or, or uh, network, right? Yeah. Our first episode, because we were already big on social media, mm-hmm. It, it went huge. Got like millions of views. M- yeah, millions and millions. Right. Um, so I say this to people often. It's like, listen, if, if you feel like you need to uh, convince yourself that I came up because I lucked out to have a TV show, I'm okay with that. I don't care. But if you think that my money came from the TV show, I'll tell you the truth. I made our first few seasons, I made about three grand an episode. We did about 12 episodes a year. Okay. Mm-hmm. So anywhere from 30 grand to 60 grand a season. Mm. Okay. And some people go, well, that, that's pretty good money. Okay. And then the last few seasons, I made about 7500 bucks an episode. Did about 12 episodes. So 
what's that, 120 grand? Yeah. So in my greatest seasons, we did about 120 grand a year. Mm -hmm. Okay. In total, I made about 280, 290 grand as a as a TV guy. That's wow. how much I made. We got sued by the EPA for the TV show for blowing black smoke everywhere because that's what we do. We had big trucks. We blew black smoke everywhere. Mm -hmm. We got sued by the EPA. Wow. My personal lawsuit that I lost and had to pay out of pocket was $290,000. Mm. Did I make any money? Nope. I made $0 from being on TV. Zero. Now, now this is this is the caveat to this. And I, I don't say this lightly because I know that it, 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 it is poignant, but did I use that to become more successful? Absolutely, dude. Right. I met so many cool people. When people see you on TV, it's not the same as being Instagram famous. It's not the same as YouTube famous. It's not the same as Facebook famous. When mm -hmm. you're on TV, there's validity there. And people started to like us, so I created relationships. One of the things I'm good at, the reason my event is so big and why people come out is because I'm good at networking. So I became famous, and then I met famous people, and then I created famous relationships, and mm. then I built other businesses and did other things. Mm. So from the TV show, did I use that to catapult me into other things? Absolutely. Am I grateful for the TV show? Yes. But did the TV show ever make me a dollar? No. Crazy. Never. Yeah. And dude, here's the, here's the hard thing to say. There was four of us on that show. Two of us have ever made any kind of money. Mm. And I wasn't the most famous one. There was Heavy D, Diesel Dave, myself, and then another character named Redbeard. Mm -hmm. I love all those guys, but Heavy D and I are really the only ones that have been successful from the TV show. Wow. So again, to say, well, you had a TV show, I would be successful. No, you wouldn't. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't, dude. You couldn't get the TV show. And if you got it, you wouldn't be able to use it to make the money to become successful because it ain't about the TV show. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people that come and go, dude, there's a lot of athletes that make millions of dollars and then end up broke. Most of them. Most. So to say again, like, Oh, well, you know, his success comes from that. Listen, man, I'm not bitter about it. I just want to say the truth. Yeah. The truth is, did it did it help me catapult me? Yeah, absolutely. For sure. But there was a lot of the people on that show that didn't do with it, that don't make any money, that don't have any money. Yeah. So, so do you still talk to those guys? Oh, or? yeah, all best friends. In okay. fact, they were all there at the VIP. Um, you know the VIP, we had the my the the Blackhawk come in. Yeah, yeah. Heard. That was Heavy D. He oh, flies nice. the Blackhawk with Diesel Dave. He brought in Andy Frizzella and Ed Milet. We're all great friends. In okay. fact, he just texted me and said, Hey man, good luck on your your event today. Um, great, great friends. But again, there's only a few of us out of four of us, there's only two of us that have ever become successful financially. Right. And Diesel Dave, <clears throat> and he's the one with the cutoffs with cowboy boots. I don't mm -hmm. know if you saw him or not. Yeah. He kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. <laughs> I mean, dude, he was the, he's the most famous face on the show, and he didn't make any money. Wow. And he hasn't seen any real success. So, again, it's real simple to say, like, oh, well, yeah, because you got you lucked out. Somebody picked you up on TV, and then you became famous, and then you made money. It's not the case, man. It's mm. not the case in anything in life. Yeah. It's just not. It's one of the reasons I love Joe Rogan. You know, Joe Rogan, he started on a sitcom mm -hmm. and then did some other and then became Fear Factor and then started the podcast. Now he's doing the UFC. Dude, the dude's all over. He's successful. He's not successful because of the sitcom that was back in the 1990s. Yeah. He's successful because of the principles that he uses to become successful in every aspect of his life. Absolutely. It's the same thing for me. That's cool to see you still talk to them because some people, you know, they come into some serious money and they start cutting off some old friends. For sure. And I definitely do that. I do cut people off a lot. Um, one of the greatest things I think that you could teach people and 
you know, uh, for your listeners that don't know, I do mentor, you know, I have a, a group called Limitless Society. That's what my whole thing is. Mm-hmm. One of the first things I teach people to become successful is you got to cut anchors. Mm. If I want to fly and I want to soar and I want to chase and I want to do the things I seek, I got to cut anchors. There's a lot of anchors in your life, like right. friends, family, acquaintances, and it has nothing to do with, well, I'm rich and famous or I'm this and that, so I don't want them around. That's not the case. It's if they're toxic, if they don't help you progress, if they don't seek betterment for you, then you should cut them out of your life. And mm. I don't give a who it is. Even your mom? Even your mom, dude. Wow. I, I and, and this is a this is kind of a, a personal story, but I love my mom to death. In fact, we do dinner at her house every Sunday. We're very mm. family oriented. Um, when I went through my divorce, my mom became really toxic. Really? Really, really toxic. Yeah. Wow. Um, in fact, her and I had an argument and she was telling my ex-wife she didn't think that I would take care of my daughters and mm. like just really toxic. And I think it was because she was fearful. I, I think she was fearful for what was to come. She just didn't know how to handle it, mm. you know? So I cut her out. Wow. I didn't talk to my mom for I think like four or five months. And for some they're like, that's not very long. I'm like, dude, when you talk to your mom almost every day and you see her every Sunday for dinner to cut her out for four or five months. Yeah, absolutely. And it was the greatest thing to this day for our relationship. Really? My mom and I have a wonderful, beautiful relationship. In fact, recently I retired my mother Nice. um, because I just, I love and adore that woman. But as much as I loved her and as close as we were, I had to cut her out to get to the person I needed to be Mm. because the person I was stuck at couldn't have her toxic in my life. And so I had to cut her out. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And that's that's why I say to people, they're like, well, I can't cut them out. I'm like, okay, well, then just remain. Remain where you are because you're never going to change, dude. You can't do it when you got toxic people in your life. You can't do it. It's one of the reasons why the most important thing, the most important decision you make in your life is who you marry. Who's right. going to be around you? Who's going to be in your ear? There's only two people in your life that you hear for the rest of your life, your own voice and your spouse. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking about 60, 70, 80 years of being married to somebody. You better pick the right person. For sure. So again, dude, I tell people all the time, and it's hard, but you got to cut people out. And the more you learn how to cut people out, the more you begin to accomplish what you seek. Love that. When you got that first divorce, were you telling yourself you weren't going to ever get married again? Yeah. In fact, you you said you listened to uh, Mark, um, Bell. Mark Bell's podcast. I think I said that on that podcast. I think he he did. I think he does it live like he does this live thing and yeah. people can like chime in and ask questions. And he was like, dude, people are blowing up. They have so many questions for <laughs> you. He's like, one of them said, would you get married again? And I think on that podcast, because it was recent after my divorce, I was like, hell no, I'm never getting <laughs> married again. It's not worth it. You don't need to be married, blah, 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 blah. You know, and of course, I always tell people, you don't know what you don't know, man. I was young. I was hurt. I had made a ton of mistakes. I had gone through the divorce. Um, but, you know, I was like, no, I'm never getting married again. And, dude, I dated oh, just massive amounts of people. So <laughs> so many wonderful people. Yeah. Um, and then I met my wife, who's my wife now. And I was just like, no, you're stupid, dude. If you don't lock this down, yeah, you're you right away. No, I, I just knew, dude. It was one of those things where... I had I had probably dated hundreds of people, like a lot. How many? Well, because what happens is I was famous, I was rich, I had a huge Instagram following. Do you know how easy that is to get right. a girlfriend? They're coming or, to you at that they, point. Oh, dude, I never I never even been on a dating site in my whole life. I didn't oh, wow. need to. So I, dude, I was always going on dates. I was always because I never wanted to do shit alone, and I always did. So I started dating like crazy. So, dude, by the time I met met my wife. There was I had a huge list of people I I or not people but traits 
that I did and didn't want in a spouse. Right. And when I met her, I was like, oh, dude, this girl is just she's incredible. Dude. Nice. She's so awesome. And, you know, and we had a few. I always tell people if you want to find out like who that person is, fight with them. Right. Yeah. And we had a few fights and it was beautiful how we fought, too, mm. which is really different. You want to figure out how to have a beautiful relationship, figure out how to have a beautiful fight. When you say beautiful fight, I'm curious what that looks like. So um, I'll give you a good example. So so if I fight with you, it's because I have a point I want to make and you have a point you want to make. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, well, in an immature, toxic relationship, what do you do? You revert to cutting that person down. Mm. You idiot. Why don't you listen to me? You're so stupid. You never listen. This is ridiculous. I'm out of here. I want a divorce. You're an idiot. You're an that's a normal fight with most people, right. and it's 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 demoralizing, and that's why people get divorced because they get sick of that. Right? Let me tell you what a beautiful fight is. A beautiful fight is when two people who love the shit out of each other come together, and there's a disagreement, mm -hmm. and in the disagreement and in the love that they have for each other, they go, "Hey, uh, no, I disagree with you. I don't like that." Okay, well, tell me why. And th this is where it gets really beautiful. I'm going to tell you why, and it's probably going to hurt your feelings, but I want to tell you my truth. One of the things that we abide by in my family, and, and for me specifically, I would rather punch you in the face with a lie than coddle, or punch you in the face with truth than coddle you with a lie. Mm. So we live by that, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes my wife doesn't love that, <laughs> but it, it, it's the way things have to be. So we come to the table, and I say, listen, I disagree, and here's why. And I think this and this and this. And I need you to come to the table and tell me why you disagree and you need to be honest. Mm. So then we have a, a real conversation, a debate, mm -hmm. one that's filled with love and a little bit of frustration and disagreeance. And then we both understand and seek to understand each other. Because in a beautiful fight, you seek to understand first. And then when you seek to understand, you're not mad anymore. You're mm -hmm. saying, I'm trying to understand you. I want to see this through. I want to see why do you feel the way you feel? I love you. And I want to understand why you feel the way you feel right now. Yeah. Even though I disagree with you, I want to understand it. So then you seek to understand, you take the time, you have the maturity to hold back any hatred or anger, mm -hmm. and you say, we got to come to an agreement here. And maybe the the worst agreement is that I agree to disagree, and that's okay. Yeah. So then you come to the table and you say, and I always tell people I, I love the uh, the Oreo effect. Mm -hmm. The Oreo effect is I come in with what I, I love, I tell you what I think needs to change, and I finish with what I love. Mm -hmm. So I have a conversation. I say, listen, I, I, think you're, I think you're an amazing mother, and I'm so grateful that you are the mother of my children. I love it. Mm -hmm. One of the things that, that that's really frustrating is, is the time that you put into being this or doing this, right? I mean, whatever the, the issue is, right? Mm -hmm. And I bring that to the table. Like, that's one of the things that frustrates me. But I really want you to know, like, you're an incredible wife. And, and, and I, I'm so grateful for that. But I, I need us to figure out this, the mm. white part of the order. I love that, dude. And dude, and then she does the same thing. Yeah. And there's always feelings, but the feelings are held in love, right? Because you can be frustrated and still love somebody. Mm -hmm. And then you come to some kind of an agreement, and that's a beautiful fight. Dude, I love that so much, the Oreo, because I always go in for the ask without any lead up. And I think that's what mm -hmm. causes some, you know. You know, the other thing I tell people, so one of the things I mentor people, especially business owners that come to me and say, hey, I need you. I want you to mentor me. Mm -hmm. I need my business to 10x. This is literally the first question I ask. I sit them down and I go, how's your marriage? Scale of one to 10. Mm. And they go, 
Well, why are you asking me about my marriage? Dude, yeah. my business sucks right now. I said, answer the question. What's your marriage? I don't know. My marriage is a six. Okay, cool. Why is it a six? And we go into that because mm. the truth is, is you can only be as successful in your life as your marriage is. 100%. It's wow. just what it is. Really? Always. 100%. Because how you are in one thing is how you are in everything. If you're a husband or a whole wife, you're going to do the same in your business. Mm. If I'm dishonest in my marriage, I'm going to be dishonest in my business. If I'm lazy in my marriage, I'm going to be lazy in my business. It's just how things work. Mm -hmm. So I tell them, well, let's look at that, right? Then the next step is really simple. I do what I call companionship inventory. And I say, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go sit down with your wife or your husband. And I want you to say to them, I wanted to tell you all the wonderful things about you. Mm -hmm. I just want to tell you, I think you're you're a beautiful wife. I think you're awesome. Um, I love your drive. I love all of these things. And then, and then you go, and I want to be better. And so I'm wondering if you could tell me what you think I can do better. Mm. Right? And then guess what that does, dude? It puts down defenses and it opens up a conversation that that person probably wanted to have with you, but they were waiting to have it with you to fight. And that's why they cut you down when they fight because they're like, oh, you want to fight? Okay, let's do this. I, I already wanted to tell you you were lazy as shit. You don't pick up your underwear and your clothes off the <laughs> ground. So now we're fighting. I'm going hard at you. Yeah. But, dude, you start with this conversation. You say, I just wanted to tell you all the wonderful things about you. And then I wanted to ask you how I could be better. Mm. And that's that's healthy. Yeah. And so I tell these people who their marriage is a six or a seven, I say, here's what you're going to do. You're going to tell your spouse what they do great, and then you're gonna and then you're going to ask them what you can do better. And then this is the number one piece that you have to follow listen hmm. most people don't want to do that they don't want to do that they want to sit down and they want to go well hold on hold on before you say that it's like no 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 dude shut up shut up and listen and then when your wife or your husband says man it, it really means a lot that you said that you love that i'm this and i'm this and this and then you asked how you could be better well i wanted to share with you how you can be better because there are things you fall short in mm -hmm. and then when you shut up they feel heard and then the best part of shutting up allows you to regurgitate what they said which means then again they say He's actually listening to me. Right. And again, dude, was that a fight and an argument? It probably was a little bit, but it was a beautiful fight and a beautiful argument that turned out in love that just progressed the couple. So the real question that you can ask yourself, if I fight toxic or if I fight beautifully, is does it produce progress in my relationship mm -hmm. or does it produce hatred, anger, frustration, and, and toxicity? Mm. That's it, man. And then you got to make the decision which one you want. Do you want progress in a beautiful relationship or do you just want to dive into toxic garbage for the rest of your, yeah, your life? No, I love that. That actually hits deep for me because my parents got divorced. But every day leading up to that, just toxic fights, man. Left some trauma on me I'm for sure. sure. So I'm now sure. I even avoid it to this day when people I'm sure. start yelling. I'm sure, dude. And and dude, it's, it's funny for you. Like something that you could work on is how you approach a conflict that gets the resolution that you seek. Mm -hmm. So like for you, because of that childhood trauma, you most likely don't want to have conflict, especially in a relationship. Yeah. Well, the reality is you got to do it. Mm. To find out how to be healthy, you got to have conflict. And conflict's okay. There's two individuals. There's two beings who have different opinions and and desires, mm -hmm. but they both love each other and they both want to get better. 
So you got to figure out how to butt heads beautifully and then grow. Right. That's how you do it. That's how, that's what a beautiful relationship is. Absolutely. And if you learn how to do that, guess what you do? You learn how to be a good partner in business. Mm. You learn how to deal with customers. You learn how to create relationships. You learn how to network again. So I go all the way back. Oh, you want to be better in business? Well, how's your marriage? Is that, that's why that's the question. I love that. Yeah, I actually have a, a firm stance on this. I don't work with uh, anyone that cheats on their partner. That's that's very, very smart. Yeah. Very, very smart. So my first marriage, that's what I did. I had an affair. I was 26. And the person that I was, was not prepared to be in any type of relationship or partnership. And I shouldn't have been mm -hmm. because the person that I was then obviously is somebody different I am today. But that person 100% should not have been in any type of friendship, partnership, or relationship. Wow. Because if the loyalty and respect is not there in my marriage, it's not anywhere else. Mm. So again, that's why I tell people, I wrote a book on divorce um, about three years after my divorce. Um, and it, it was one of the best sellers on Amazon. And dude, it was just a therapy book for me because I was like, I just need to put this all on paper. <laughs> and the whole entire book, the subtitle of it is How to Go to War with Yourself. The point of it is, listen, and, and again, for those who are listening, like, well, dude, if I cheated, like, am I right? No, 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 no. Everybody makes mistakes. But if you do not go to war with yourself and fix who you were and become something better, which hopefully everybody listening understands there's one underlining principle here. It's, it's progress, right? Mm -hmm. In everything. If you don't fix who you were, you're always going to be that person and you're never going to be somebody like you that wants to go into business with them, right. which again affects you what? Financially. So we go all the way back again. Hey, dude, how's your marriage? Well, I cheat on my spouse. Cool. Well, we got to go all the way back to the beginning, bro. Mm -hmm. We have to change everything. Your business sucks because you have no respect, no loyalty, no care. You don't give a shit about nothing. Mm -hmm. No wonder your business sucks. And that's why, you know, when I have those sit downs with some of these business owners, they're like, oh, shit, I wasn't ready for this. I was just hoping he could help me figure out how to make more money. You <laughs> yeah, know, that's deep, man. So what was that process of of rebuilding your mindset? Did that take a while? Were you going to like therapy? How did you know? Um, I don't. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say it. I don't really believe in therapy. I think therapy is just weird. I think therapy is just speaking out loud and they kind of gov like right. guide you. I actually not, tried it. Didn't really. Yeah, I don't I don't really believe in. Um, but what I do believe in is having a mentor. Mm -hmm. that will show you how to get what they have, right? Like if I sit down with someone who went to school to tell me how to work through my thoughts, it's like, mm -hmm. but if I sit down with someone who's happy, successful, balanced, peace, mm -hmm. I mean, if I sit down with that person, I go, how did you get that? They can walk me through my to get what they have, mm. right? right? And so for me, that's what I tell people now. Like, how did I get there? Dude, I, I, I had people help me. I had mentors. Mm -hmm. I had people in my ear saying, hey, man, that's not the right way. Dude, I remember when someone said to me exactly what you just said. He was like, I would never be in a partnership with somebody who cheated on their wife. And I remember thinking, I wouldn't either. Why am I okay with being that person? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't either. I don't want to be in a relationship or a partnership with somebody who cheats on their spouse. So if that's the case, then I have to actually change. Mm. And then I came up with um, with things that resonated with me, not my own ideas, but I came up with this whole thought process of, okay, dude, it's really simple. You're the sum total of your thoughts, right? So what I think is what I am. Mm -hmm. If I seek to, to change what I am, I must seek to change my thought process. Right. So that's what I did. 
I went to work. Um, Tim Grover at my event said something so, so powerful. I don't think a lot of people heard it. He essentially talked about going into the darkness to find your light. Hmm. And then when you find your light, you can light the world. And for me, I had to go into the darkness so that I could figure out how to change the way that I thought. And as soon as I began to change the way I thought, everything changed in my life, everything. And then I came up with this whole thought process of like, dude, if, if you seek it, you can have it. You just need to change how you think. Mm. It's that simple. By word, by deed, it's much harder and it takes time. I, I, I would tell people this um, who are listening that are thinking like, okay, well, how do I do it? Every single person probably has a job, a hobby, or something they work really hard at, right? If you do one thing in your life, you should work harder on yourself than you do in your job or in your hobby or in any aspect of your life. Hmm. So some of these guys who are like construction workers waking up at five in the morning, working 12 hours a day, like barely scraping by, and they're like, God, dude, I'm working my ass off. Why am I not being more successful? I would say to them, you should work harder on yourself than you do in your job. Wow. And that's a lot, dude. Yeah. That's a lot. Like the guy that's out there pushing concrete 12 yeah. hours a day. And now I got to tell him as hard as that is, you got to work harder on yourself. Hmm. But that's the truth. And that's what I figured out. I said, you know what? I got to work on me. That's what I got to do. That's what I have to do. If I seek success, I must first seek personal development. I will never be more successful than I am developed personally. I just won't. No one will. Yeah. So when I look at successful people across the board, and I don't think success is money. I just don't. I think there's so much more to success. When I look at someone who I truly think is successful, I go, that has been working hard on himself. I guarantee, I guarantee you, 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 you're a fly on the wall when he's working. He's working through some on a daily basis and he's becoming better. He's obsessed with personal progress. Right. And that's what I, that's what I did. That's what I became. And that's why I started the mentoring program, Limitless Society, because I literally saw in myself, dude, if all I ever do is focus on me and work on me, everything in my life gets better. Mm -hmm. So I should probably teach the world, hey man, let me show you how to work on you. And I don't know everything, but man, I, I got the life I want. Yeah. 100% have Absolutely. the life I want. I've seen it with my own eyes, man. I'll put a link to that society in the description. For um, sure. Dude, it's been a great episode. Anything you want to close off with? No, dude. I really, really appreciate having you on um, uh, again. And I want to publicly invite you. You know, um, I would love to have you April 27th, have you both backstage. And we have our VIP party, which would be really cool. In fact, maybe our next pod podcast will be at my house during the Let's VIP party. Let's do it, man. That sounds fun. Thanks for watching, guys. Great episode. Check the link for Limitless Society, and I'll see you next time.